Well, first came the anxiety, then the chronic pain, and then more anxiety because of the chronic pain in the back, the knee, and the hip. The man experiencing all this thought his struggles might cost him his job, and it's no ordinary job. Representative Adam Smith is a 14-term member of the United States Congress and the top Democrats on the House Armed Services Committee. And after seeing more than 100 doctors and multiple surgeries, he now understands that physical and mental health are connected and he's getting his life back. Actually, getting his life back meant finding the right diagnosis and treatment for both. His new memoir offers lessons from his experience, but most of all it offers hope. It's called Lost and Broken, My Journey Back from Chronic Pain and Crippling Anxiety. And Representative Adam Smith joins me now. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Mm-hmm. Great to talk to you. You became the youngest state senator in the country. You became a member of Congress. And so I'm assuming you are driven. And with that drive comes a bit of anxiety, I'm sure. But how was what you were experiencing something beyond what we might naturally expect from someone in such a stressful job? Yeah. No, it's it can be a confusing thing when you're trying to figure out your, your your mental health. And it's one of the big things that I wrestled with throughout my life. And certainly when the anxiety became overwhelming, you know, what what's the difference, first of all, between the normal stress and strain ups and downs of life and an actual clinical anxiety or depression problem? And then how do you handle both for that matter? I mean, even if it's not crossing over the line into clinical anxiety and depression, you know, better being able to handle those pressures of everyday life requires some mental health training. And, you know, certainly I didn't grow up with people talking about that. Um, so I really struggled to figure out how to address these issues. Um, and look, the difference between the two, the way I always sum it up is the normal ups and downs of life. That's the stuff that you're aware of, okay? You know what you're anxious about. You know what's got you down. Uh, Clinical anxiety and clinical depression is when it hits you with this overwhelming feeling that isn't directly related to anything, and it simply won't go away. And that's what happened to me. I was a high-stress person for a good chunk of my life, but it was always manageable, um, except for three times. I had a bout of depression when I was 25. I had a bout of anxiety when I was 40. And then eight years after that, the anxiety came back and wouldn't go away. And that's when I started seeking the treatment that you mentioned. And then, of course, I also had a a chronic pain problem that took me to a lot of physical therapists and chiropractors and a bunch of others, as you point out, to try to figure out what's wrong with me and and, and how do I fix it. And were you concerned at all that if, um, not just voters, but your colleagues found out that you had mental health issues, that it might affect your job or, or their view of how you could do your job? Absolutely. And, you know, friends and family as well. Um, you know, it's a hard thing to explain. I was, you know, the physical can also be debilitating. Don't get me wrong, you know, if getting an accident or something, but it's much easier to explain. You know, if you break your leg skiing, everyone understands what that is <laughs> and has a decent idea of what the recovery looks like. You know, if you just say, look, I'm just totally freaked out and I don't know why and I don't know what to do about it. You know, that that is typically more unsettling for people. But what I've learned, it's just as treatable. So how hard was it to reach out for help? Um, Initially, it was hard. Like I said, I had that bout of depression when I was 25. I didn't talk to anybody about that. 
Um, it just went away after five or six months. And then when I had the anxiety, I kept that very close hold. Uh, saw one psychiatrist, um, you know, kept that very quiet. It was really difficult. Um, the only thing that ultimately got me to open up to people was I didn't think I had any choice when the anxiety came back in 2013. And I was seeing people and I couldn't, you know, I didn't know what what to do about it. Um, so I kept sort of desperately searching for the answer. And in the long run, one of the things that I discovered, you know, one of the keys to good mental health is being honest with yourself and being yeah. honest about how you're feeling. Um, so keeping it in and trying to pretend that you're something other than what you are, you know, that that's the opposite of what you need to do to deal with a mental health issue. Um, other lessons, a psychologist told you early on, it's not the amount of stress in your life, it's how you process it. How significant was that insight? Yeah, it, at the time, it wasn't helpful at all, because I didn't <laughs> believe it. Um, you know, I mean, think about it, whenever you or anyone's going through a period of, you know, high stress in their life, we, we always attribute it to what's happening. Okay, you know, a, a new job, you mm. just, you know, started I don't know, college or grad school, or maybe you're having a difficulty in your relationship, or one of your children um, is going through a tough time. Um, and you sort of point to it like, okay, this is what's coming at me. And this is why I feel that way. And, and frankly, that was my approach. You know, in 2005, I had been in Congress for just short of 10 years at that point when the anxiety hit. Um, I was married, had a four and a one-year-old child at home. So I was flying back and forth to DC. My, my district that I represent in the US is in Washington state, which is on the other side of the country from Washington, DC. So I was, I was busy and stressed. Small children are stressful. Yeah. You know, and I was trying to figure out, can I keep my job? Is this going to work? So my entire focus was how do I shrink the amount of stress in my life? So when the psychologist told me in 2013, that it's more how you process it than how much you have that was completely outside of my frame of reference. Now, what I learned as I worked through a number of psychologists and psychiatrists until I finally found one who was helpful to me is she's absolutely right. You can train your mind to better react to the stresses and strains that you face in life. Now, obviously, those are going to vary. I mean, there are some things that are really devastating and very difficult to deal with. But no matter what it is, if you train your brain better and you understand yourself and your history, she's absolutely right. You can handle a lot more stress than you think you can. Your brain is just like your body. I always say, you know, if, you, if you're not in great shape and you're like, you know, I want to build up my cardio, um, you, you run, you swim, you ride a bike, yeah. you do things that are going to build up the strength of your mind. Uh, your mind strength can also be built up by better understanding how to deal with the emotions that you feel. I'm talking to Representative Adam Smith. His book is called Lost and Broken, My Journey Back from Chronic Pain and Crippling Anxiety. When you first uh, sought mental health treatment, Adam, did you feel like they were too quick to get you on medication? Yes. I think the two big problems we have with mental health treatment in the U.S., number one, they're quick with the meds, with the antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. Those are not nearly as effective um, as some doctors seem to think, number one. Number two, they mask the problem. You know, if you are trying to figure out, okay, what's happened in my life that is causing me uh, to be anxious or depressed that I haven't properly dealt with, medication is just going to cover it up. 
And also when it comes to anti-anxiety meds in particular, you build up tolerance. The first time I took a benzodiazepine, um, it worked brilliantly. Uh Um, It was an incredible experience. It was like, boom, anxiety gone. Uh But then you build up a tolerance and it doesn't solve the problem. The second problem we have in the U.S. anyway is we go right to cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy is really important and it's helpful. It basically tries to teach you, okay, analyze what you're worried about. What are you really anxious about? And you make a list of the things you're anxious about. And then you talk through, okay, well, let's think about this. Number one, is it really something that you should be that worried about? Um, Think through it. And number two, are there things that you can do to lessen your anxiety? Let's say you're stressed out. Um, about work. You know, you don't have the best relationship with your boss. So you can talk to, well, should you sit down and talk with him? Should you talk with a coworker? Um, Maybe there's some other job you want to do. And that's all very helpful. But if you have underlying issues, if you have an underlying issue with your self-worth or you have trauma from your past that you haven't properly dealt with, Mm. cognitive behavioral therapy really isn't going to help that much. Mostly, as I always say, it just pisses you off (laughs) because they keep telling you, oh, oh, you know, you shouldn't be so anxious. Okay, but I am. (laughs) All right. So what am I supposed to do about it? So those are the two big weeks. I think you need to start more understanding the patient's history, you know, what's going on in their life. Um, And then you can work through cognitive behavioral therapy. And let me just say on the drug thing, I'm not, I I have no doubt that there are some people who have been enormously helped by medication, Um, but I'm also a hundred percent confident in the United States. We way over prescribe those medications, make problems worse um, and, and don't help people in the way that we could. Some good stuff here, Adam. And just just to be clear, what is that? What is that other form of therapy called that you're talking about? The the, the form of therapy that might be more helpful for someone who has some underlying issues. Like it's psychotherapy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, basically, it's you know you sit down, you really analyze what's going on, and the in the two pieces of that, the one that I think most people understand and it's getting a lot more play these days is the issue of trauma from your past yeah. that you haven't properly dealt with. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of times that could be something traumatic, you know, like you were abused as a child or you had an alcoholic parent or you were passed from one foster home to another, just that big instability. But what I discovered in my own life, I I didn't have any of those things, but I was adopted. And the parents that raised me, you know, my mother had a depression problem. My father had an anxiety problem, which I was really unaware of at the time. Our, Our families broke apart when I was 12 or 13 years old. And I never thought of that as being like traumatic, but it really did still bother me. It bothered me both what I lived through and the fact that I hadn't done more to help at the time. So talking about that, getting into past trauma and what the, what the, the, the research tells us now is if you really open up that trauma and experience it again in a more you know controllable setting, yeah. you can in fact deal with it. Closure is a thing uh-huh. and it can really help. So that's one big um, piece that psychotherapy can help with. Yeah. We've talked most about the mental pain so far, but, but was there a point when you realized that the mental pain and the, the physical pain you had from back and knee and hip problems, that they were connected, that they had merged in some way? Yeah. Well, that was what was really vexing about it. Um, was, you know, I had major knee surgery when I was a kid, I, a bone died in my knee and I never properly rehabbed my right leg after that surgery when I was 16. 
Um, and so my body got out of whack in my whole life. You know, my knee hurt, my back hurt, my foot hurt, but it was all, it was all manageable. I mean, I'd have two and three week periods of time when it wasn't that manageable, but I'd get through them. And then, you know, in 2014, a year after my last bout of anxiety had kicked in, the hip pain got to the point where I, I, I couldn't deal with it. I, I was in pain all the time. I couldn't exercise. Um, and so I spent a lot of time thinking, is it the anxiety triggering the pain? Um, and there was a lot of research on that. It, it's not 100% clear. In my case, it was both. I had physical problems. Um, basically, my entire muscle system had sort of shut down because I'd been misusing it for so long. Originally, I thought it was a hip problem. So I got three hip surgeries. I have two artificial hips. Um, the only thing that saved me on that front was I finally found a muscle activation therapist. Uh, it's something relatively new here mm. in the U.S. They're called the muscle activation techniques people. And they gave me the invaluable insight that muscles aren't just um, they can't they don't just need to be strong and flexible. They also need to be activated. It's weird, but your muscles shut down if you use them wrong, and then they become not as useful to you. And then you start compensating, and that puts more pressure on your joints. Now, I had problems. I had bad hips. I had the, the bad knee. But once I got my muscles going, and it took about a year, it was pretty intensive. Um, it really literally saved my life. It, it fixed my body and got, you know, I'm in less pain now than I've been in since I was probably 20 years old. Um, and so I had to, I had to solve both the mental and the physical problem. Yeah. That'll be interesting to people. Muscle activation therapy. Some people, um, spend their whole adult life trying to fix back pain. It's so difficult to relieve, but yeah. you say never stop believing that you will find a way to get better. Yes. Now, I mean, the mind and the body have an incredible ability to heal. And I'll tell you, that was one of the things, and I start my book off in 2016, a couple months after my third hip surgery, when I was not getting better. You know, I was taking a whole bunch of different medications, um, you know, for the pain, for the anxiety. Um, I The pain was still there. The anxiety was still there. My muscles were atrophied. And I was, what was I, I was just short of, I was 50 years old. I was just short of 51. And I really thought at this age, there's no coming back from this. Okay, how is my body ever going to recover? But it did. And it recovered because I found that psychologist, went through three and a half years worth of psychotherapy to really understand my history and how my brain worked. And I found that muscle activation therapist that helped heal my body. So, and I don't want to be too Pollyannish about that. I know that there are people who have more severe problems than I did. And maybe you don't get all the way back as far as I did but you can get better. Whatever situation you're in, there are ways that your mind and your body can get better and get you to a better place. Um, and I just want to make sure people don't get too discouraged because I, I know how discouraging it can be. Mm. Um, you've got fans from uh, both sides of the aisle. Republican Congressman Matt Gates, well, maybe fan is putting it too strongly, but he gave you a nice compliment. <laughs> um, he interviewed you for his podcast and he said, this book is the most yeah. honest I've ever seen where a member of Congress was vulnerable and honest. Um, has this been your experience so far that, that this is something that can unite everyone, your experience? Yes, no, absolutely. And, and look, I will also say that I know there's a popular perception out there of how dysfunctional Congress is. Um, look, Democracy isn't easy. Civil society isn't easy. 
we all have a bunch of different opinions about, you know, a, a whole bunch of different things. So we have to figure out some way to get along, despite the fact that we disagree. So there's going to be, you know, a lot of arguments and a lot of contested um, issues, but that's how we resolve them. Um, you know, I always like to quote, politics is a substitute for violence. Basically, it's how you resolve issues peacefully instead of violently. And we do a decent job in this country of resolving them that way, you know. Matt serves on the Armed Services Committee, and he was there when I was the chair, and now I'm the, the ranking member now that the Republicans are in charge. You know, we don't agree on a lot, but we talk all the time um, and get along just fine. And frankly, that's the case with, with a lot of Republicans and Democrats. And yes, experiencing healthcare difficulties, both difficulties, both mental and physical, is something that's really not a partisan issue. And I've been, been quite gratified by the, the bipartisan support that I've received. And then outside of government, we have an election this year, and you write, do not underestimate the impact of individual mental health issues, even seemingly minor ones, on the level of conflict and instability in our society. So I wonder, as a congressman, now that you've experienced this for yourself, do you have a maybe a better understanding of the, the implications of growing mental health problems in the Western world? Yeah, in, in, in two ways. Um, First of all, just in terms of, again, back to my point about how, how do we get along? You know, how, how do we function as a civil society given our differences? But if you are um, upset, angry, anxious, depressed, your patience for dealing with your fellow human beings is going to be substantially lower. So if people are having those problems, they're going to get into more arguments, be more disagreeable, be less willing to compromise. Um, and I think that contributes to making it more difficult to confront the issues that we face in public policy. Absolutely, if we could deal with that better. Um, and I guess the second thing that it's really done for me is it's helped me in my empathy and my ability to get along with people. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when I say this in my book, you know, when you see people, when you encounter someone who seems like unnecessarily angry or confrontational, you know, your initial reaction is negative. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, why is this person being a jerk? But if you spend just a minute going, well, what's going on with this person? Okay. You know, I remember what was going on with me that nobody around me knew about. What's going on with this person? What has happened in their life that might be putting pressure on them mm. and putting them in this position? So it can help you have empathy and 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 be, well, be more agreeable in terms of working with people if you have that appreciation for what might be going on with somebody that you don't see on the surface. I had an expert in complexity on the show last week, and he said that we could learn a lot about the way to deal with complexity by watching the movie Frozen 2. In fact, you encourage us <laughs> to take a page out of the film The Princess Bride. Um, what's the lesson yeah. there? Well, there were two big lessons for me there. The biggest one is at the end of the movie, what are my assets? What are my liabilities? Uh, basically, they're, it's complicated, but they're trying to storm the castle and yeah. rescue the princess. Um, and they got a number of different challenges there. But I like it, and you know, on the surface, it looks like the challenges are overwhelming. Um, but you know, if you ask the question, "What are my assets?" You know, what what do I have that I might not readily recognize that can help me? And I've always, you know, long before I saw the Princess Bride, when I was working on political campaigns, I've always said that in any given campaign, you've got three things going for you and three things going against you. Huh. Your job is to minimize, uh, or maximize the former and minimize the latter. Now, what those three things are, it's going to vary from case to case. You're rarely going to be in a situation where everything's going your way. 
hopefully you're rarely going to be in a situation where everything's against you. You got to work through that. And I think that's a philosophy um, that can really help you solve just about any problem that you're facing. You know, don't give up. Think through it. What is there that can help me? Because there are a lot of things out there that can help you. And that was sort of the princess bride formulation. Um, Whenever I'm approaching a problem, I try to approach it that way. And then the second analogy I always used was he's not dead. He's mostly dead. Uh, That was (laughs) movie. That's that's the way I looked at myself. It's like I, I joke in the book that my first analogy was that my life became Weekend at Bernie's. Um, it's an American movie about yeah, a guy who's yeah, yeah. maybe pretended this guy's not dead and he really is dead. Yeah. Uh, because my staff was like dragging me around to meeting after meeting as I was just trying to survive. But then I realized Bernie is in fact dead. Um, so that's not a helpful analogy. So I went Princess Bride. He's not dead. He's mostly dead. He's coming back. It may not look like it. But there's this tiny little bit of hope that we're going to hang on to. Love it. Um, so those were the two analogies that have served me well from The Princess Bride. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, you know, I, you know, my family's doing well. My children are 23 and 20 now. As I point out in the book, I just wasn't very good with babies. I'd never been around them. Um, and I'm, I'm a reasonable, logical guy. <laughs> uh, I believe in reasoning with people. You can't reason with it with a six-month-old. No. You just can't. Uh, fortunately, my wife knows that she, she's the oldest of five and her, my mother, my mother-in-law has taught, um, children her whole life. So had some help there, but yeah, no, it's good. And, you know, I'm enjoying my job. It's challenging, but I think it's important. I love my district and mentally and physically I'm in good shape and I've been totally off medication since April 5th, 2019. So, you know, it, it has worked out really well. And I was blessed to have a lot of very good people help me get there. Fantastic. Thanks for your story and thanks for the hope. And really nice to talk to you today. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. I look forward to visiting your country soon. So definitely on my list. Great. Representative Adam Smith, whose book is called Lost and Broken, My Journey Back from Chronic Pain and Crippling Anxiety.